this morning we begin a series in all of our sojourn churches in the book of Colossians, a, a book that a, a letter that Paul wrote to the Colossian church. And, and, and within this book, we see the preeminence of Christ, right? Uh, very, very evidently uh, displayed in this book. And I think it's pivotal that we jump into a book like Colossians, uh, especially after coming out of a series like Life Together. Uh, and why do you, why do you ask? Uh, it's because as we went through Life Together, uh, we talked a lot about and at length about what it would look like for us to live life together in the context of a local church. Right? And what, what Paul does in this letter written to the Colossians is uh, give us a bigger view and an expanded view of God's church, not just local, but the universal body of Christ. And so as we as we dive in, we recognize that we 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 have a robust understanding that it's necessary to have a robust understanding of the local church while also not forgetting about the universal church. And so uh, I'm excited to, to start this series with you guys uh, this morning. So uh, let's dive right in. Uh, I want to tell you a quick story. Uh, my brother, uh, one of my younger brothers, um, just recently started driving. And so this past year, uh, he started driving and he got a car. Uh, and then he was so excited to drive and so he invited me out to lunch. So I was like, yeah, cool, let's go to lunch. And so I drove over to his house, and he's like, I'll drive, I'll drive. Okay, all right, sounds good. It's only like five minutes away, so I'm like, okay. And so he started driving, and, and I, I really did think I was going to see Jesus face to face. And, um, it, it was intense. Um, I love him. I love him to death. And, and uh, as we're driving, I'm, I'm already thinking, like, okay, he did this wrong, he did that wrong. Um, but I didn't want to come down harshly on him. So we went to lunch, we ate, and on the way back, I began to think about ways I could subtly bring up um, maybe some encouragement, some correction, without coming down too harshly on him, right? And so uh, the way I did it is uh, by telling him stories of when I first started driving. I first started driving, I did this, and that, and these mistakes. Uh, and then as I began to do that, I was kind of inserting nuggets of uh, a kind of advice for him. And then it became a full-blown conversation of, hey man, like next time, uh, don't do this, don't do that. And uh, we began to have that discussion, right? But I did that so that I would not come off so hard with him. And, and Paul is doing really something similar here in the Thanksgiving and prayer. As he, as he begins this, this letter to the Colossians, uh, Paul is doing something very similar. He starts with his greeting, right, and a Thanksgiving and a prayer. Uh, but we'll see this morning that um, there are some nuggets of truth that Paul inserts uh, in this Thanksgiving and prayer uh, that is combating uh, some, some doctrinal uh, lies, right? some false uh, doctrines that some, some of these false teachers that had tried to creep into this church were, were trying to spread. We also have to understand some historical context uh, of this before we dive in. I think it's pivotal, so uh, let me give you a brief snapshot of the context. Colossae was a small city. Uh, Colossae used to be a significant city. Uh, but when Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians, it, it, it was a pretty insignificant city. And although it was a, a Gentile city, it was uh, approximately about 50,000 Jews that dwelled in that city. And so they had enough Jews in that city to make some sort of a presence, a Jewish presence, although not enough to, to overcome the pagan influences um, of that city. 
And uh, when, when Paul wrote, but when, so the way this church was planted is uh, a man by the name of Epaphras, which Paul uh, mentions in his, uh, in his first chapter, uh, Epaphras traveled to Ephesus during Paul's third missionary journey. And so Paul was preaching the gospel. Uh, God was, was saving people. It was revival in, uh, in, in Ephesus. So Epaphras traveled to, to Ephesus to hear Paul expound on the gospel. Uh, and it was after he, he, he heard the gospel there that he went back to Colossae uh, and proclaimed the gospel in Colossae. God began to save people and God built this church to, through Epaphras. So you could say um, that Epaphras planted this church in, in Colossae. And then, and then after he does that, he, he goes back to Ephesus to give Paul a report of how the Colossian church was doing. Uh, and so in doing that, he, he gives him an, uh, a joyful report of, uh, of the Colossians' faith in Jesus and of the Colossians' love towards all the saints. Right? And we see Paul thanking God for that. But he also gives him a sobering report of some false teachers that were creeping in and trying to spread uh, some false doctrine. And with this in mind, Paul pens this letter and inserts nuggets of, of doctrinal truths that we'll see this morning directly combat uh, the false teachings of these, of these Judaizers. And as I study this text and try to extract the main point from uh, a text like a thanksgiving and a prayer, which is not a prescriptive text, not a, a treatise, right, a theological truth, of a thanksgiving and a prayer. But if I could extract the, the main theme, I would say, um, I believe that the Lord really wants us to, to know this this morning, that the Holy Spirit's empowerment through the word of the gospel is sufficient to equip us, God's church, for the Christian life. That the, the Holy Spirit's empowerment through the word of the gospel is sufficient to equip God's church for the Christian life. And this is, of course, meant to be lived out in the context of a believing community, right? And as we navigate this text, we'll, we'll focus on three things. Focus on uh, a gospel hope, a gospel fruit, and gospel strength. So let's begin with uh, the first uh, verses 3 through 8, uh, talking about the, the gospel hope. I'll read it for us again. It says in verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So with this idea in mind, Paul uh, begins to slide in some subtle teaching points in this Introduction. And Paul states that it was the hope laid up for us in heaven that produced faith in Jesus and his love towards the saints within the, the Colossians. This hope is, is a hope that's found in the truth. Right? And Paul uses it synonymously with the gospel in this passage. So it was the gospel that gave them a hope to cling to, to 
which had become like a, uh, an anchor to their soul that produced faith and love. And Paul, taking every opportunity, even within this introduction and thanksgiving and prayer, to teach the Colossians uh, a truth of the gospel, uh, does the same here. Essentially, the, 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 the teaching that he was combating was a teaching that was being spread by uh, what are called Judaizers, which were Jewish people that were seeking to mix Jewish uh, legalism. And, and these particular Judaizers were also mixing in Greek philosophy with the gospel. And so the name of this sect that was trying to infiltrate the Colossian church are called the Essenes. And so we've heard of the Pharisees and we've heard of the Sadducees, right? But there was also a third sect within that time that were called the Essenes. And these uh, Essene Judaizers were, were people who had come to profess faith in Christ, but still were wanting to mix in the gospel with legalism and Greek philosophy. They, they, they mixed in the lies uh, such as worship of angels as a way to protect themselves from demons. Asceticism or strict self-discipline, rejecting all forms of pleasure, even to some degree marriage, to some, uh, for some of them marriage, and strict observance or legalistic observance of the Sabbath. And all these, all these beliefs were mixed with with the gospel, and so they were trying to spread this false teaching that said, uh, yes, Jesus saves you, and Jesus has, has died for your, for your sins, but you also need to observe all these other rules and regulations, and you need this kind of knowledge to be a true follower of God. If you want to go deeper right, with God, then you need to observe these practices and believe uh, these certain things. And Paul, uh, with this in mind, tells the Colossians, in the very beginning of this letter, that it was the hope that they took hold of. It was the hope that they took hold of that brought them to faith. When someone preached the gospel to them, the gospel of truth, they took hold of this hope that is laid up for them in heaven, the, the hope that the gospel offers, and it produced in them faith in Jesus and love for all the saints. By doing this, he's reminding them that Jesus, that the gospel of Jesus is the truth, not a truth. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no man comes to the Father but through him. He's combating his Jesus plus works or plus knowledge false gospel. He's also reminding them that, that through, in this subtle teaching, that, that they came to be saved only through the Christ of the gospel. So, he says, I'll read for us again, he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you from heaven, of this we have heard, in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is very and so that's, that's a reminder for us as well, even today, that we, that we came to faith because one day someone preached the gospel to us. One day someone preached the gospel to you. Someone stepped out in faith and shared Christ with you.
And God, using, through the power of the Spirit, using the proclaimed gospel, brought you to faith. He gave you an understanding of his grace and gave you the ability to believe in him. And so Paul is reminding the Colossians, hey, uh, you don't need any additional knowledge. You don't need to practice any additional uh, um, laws. It is through the gospel alone that God brought you into his fold. Remember that it was through the gospel alone that you became a believer in Jesus. And for us today, that, that, sounds, that sounds like common knowledge, especially in a church such as this that preaches the gospel and strives to be a church that is centered on the gospel. But it can be very easy for us to, to believe that Jesus saves us, um, but it's not until we get married or until we have children or until we have that house we want uh, that we'll really be saved. And the lies of our heart continue to preach false, false doctrines to us. That is, Jesus is the gospel plus these additional things that we can add to finally be content. And Paul is telling the Colossians, no, it is through Christ alone. And when we came to faith, we, we began to see that God began to produce fruit in us. We began to, to walk out this faith that he had given us, right? And with that, we go to uh, verses 9 and 10, and we see the gospel of fruit that comes from it. And I'll read it for us. It says, and so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. After Paul tells Colossians that he, that he gives thanks for them often, he, he moves into sharing with them how he prays for them. There's something, there's something special, right, about when someone asks us to pray for them. Um, and I, I began to do this a, a while back. Um, I, I used to just say, yeah, I'll pray for you. And I, you know, pray for them the next day. Or, but there's something about just stopping there and saying, okay, yes, I'll pray right now. And there's an encouragement that comes when, when the person that you're praying for is hearing what you're praying about for them, right? Mm -hmm. so, so picture Paul writing these words and telling them, this is what I'm praying for to strive to encourage them through that. He tells them that he's praying that they would be filled with all knowledge of his will in our spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul here is using some buzzwords that the Judaizers were using. And those, those buzzwords were knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. But he's stealing those words back. He says, no, I'm praying for you spiritual wisdom. I'm praying for you knowledge of him, knowledge of God. False teachers were, these, these Essene Judaizers were, were spreading a teaching that said that he had to have their kind of wisdom, their kind of knowledge, right? Their kind of understanding to be a true follower of God. Or adding to the gospel. But Paul, Paul tells the Colossians that he's asking God to grant them knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. For what reasons? 
And another stark contrast from the Greek, uh, from the Judaizers. He's asking God for spiritual wisdom and understanding, knowledge of His will for the Colossians, so that they would walk according, so that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. In stark contrast with the puffing up of the Judaizers, the more knowledge they acquired, the more wisdom they gained, they became more and more puffed up with themselves, striving to, 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 to bring along right, disciples under their false teaching. But Paul says, no, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding should produce one thing, and that's that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It's that you would walk in holiness, not to be puffed up. Paul contrasts the kind of wisdom and understanding that the Judaizers were, were spreading. And we see in Proverbs 9, verse 10, that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The knowledge of God is insight. And in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, it says, that, it says, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. I can, I can imagine that the Colossians reading this letter, and although, although Old Testament scripture is not quoted here, those who had an understanding of the Torah, right, the Old Testament, but have known that this knowledge of the Lord, this wisdom, comes from a fear of the Lord. And that to boast in anything other than knowing God is sinful. So how, how can this instruct us today? How can, how can this knowledge instruct us in how we live today? Well, in, in an age where uh, the, the Christian church or any follower of Jesus is increasingly looked at, as a bigot, right? Our, our, our culture, our current uh, cultural climate, it says that if you don't agree with certain views on, on a various uh, amount of things, then we're seen as unloving, we're seen as harsh. And, 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 and our culture's antagonism towards the church is only growing by the day. And it can be very easy for us, it can be very easy for me uh, to choose to take the easy route. Right? And, and either just totally ignore that all those issues or, or shy away from being a bold follower of Christ in the midst of darkness. And unfortunately, it has led many churches to forsake the faith right? and begin to embrace these, these views of our culture. But God here reminds us of the power that is found in the gospel. He reminds us of the power that we have in the spirit that he gives us through Christ. And he's encouraging the Colossians and reminding them of the power that they were given when they believed in the gospel. And that power that is sufficient for us to, to walk in boldness while still walking in humility towards those who disagree with us. And Paul is actually 
uh, the scripture would, would call us to a higher standard than just tolerance. Right? God doesn't call us to tolerate those who disagree with us. God calls us to love them. God calls us to love our enemies. To pray for those who persecute us and despitefully use us. And we can be reminded that it is, it is in the power that, that we have found in the gospel that we have the ability to love our enemies. And we should be the ones that are leading the way in loving those who disagree with us, loving those who even despise us. But we know that we fail. We know that we fail in doing this. You know, um, that we, we look back on our walk. We, we've had moments, I've had moments when I've been uh, convicted of sharing the gospel with someone and I choose to not do it because of whatever reason, my reputation, my desire to be approved by that friend or that coworker. In, in that moment, I realize, we realize that we need that we need to be filled with this power if we desire to walk in a way that is worthy and pleasing to the Lord. But we can be reminded that there is one who did. That when Christ came down to this earth, he was filled with the spirit of power. He perfectly obeyed the Father. He was never ashamed of his Father. And he walked in perfect communion with the Father. And when he offered himself up, as he went to the cross, he did it with joy. So we know that this prayer that Paul offers up for the Colossians, that they would be filled with knowledge of his will, spiritual wisdom, and understanding, so that they walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, and bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That prayer finds its amen in Jesus, because Jesus was the one that perfectly fulfilled those things. He was the one that fully walked, that walked fully pleasing We know that because Christ has gone before us, and because God has granted us Christ's righteousness, he also gives us the power to walk in this manner. Let me read verses 11 through 14. Paul jumps from telling them what he prays for, for them, to, to jumping into to praying them as he's writing this letter. He says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Paul, once again, is, is indirectly and subtly teaching the Colossians, and by extension reminds us this morning that we, we can do nothing apart from God enabling us. We can't change ourselves. We're wayward and we're weak and feeble. And as he lifts up his prayer for strength, he says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. He's, he's using repetition here in the original language for us to, to drive the point home. And the first two words, strengthened and power, 
are forms of the same word, and we get our English words dynamite or dynamo from these words. And then, and, and, and then when he says his glorious might, he's using a word that's used in the Greek Old Testament that is, that is used for God's power in the Old Testament. So we could reread this in a way that to drive the point uh, further home in the original language, it would, it would say something like this, may he be empowered with all power according to his glorious power. And he's trying to drive this point home to them that, hey, what I just uh, told you that I prayed for uh, for you, that you would walk in a man manner fully pleasing to him, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work, you cannot do this apart from the power of God. So I pray for you now that you would be empowered with all power according to his glorious power. He's reminding them, hey, that you can't do this apart from the Spirit's power. And there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a he, he does something here once again to combat the Judaizers' false teaching. He says it was joy. And joy is what makes Christianity different from every other religion. He, he asked that they would be strengthened with all power. For what? For all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. As I said earlier, the Essenes were, were, were people who gave themselves to a life of asceticism. And so they, they denied to themselves even, even pleasures that were good, that, that God had blessed, like marriage, like happiness, like expressing joy. So picture a group of people trying to infiltrate this Colossian church. Uh, they looked like Stoics, right? And they showed no emotion. And they, they had this strict observance of all these laws. Paul says, no, I'm, I'm asking for God's wisdom, knowledge, and understanding for you. I'm asking for God to give you the power to walk in a manner worthy of him with all endurance and patience with joy. And in doing that, and then walking with joy, is in stark contrast to how these false teachers were walking. And this is what gives us, brothers and sisters, even today, a unique difference, a uniqueness to our walk. You know that suffering, when suffering comes, when persecution comes, God has promised that he refines his people. And he does all of this for our joy as Christ prayed. So we know that when we walk through persecution, when we walk through suffering, God gives us the power. He enables us with the power to endure it with joy. And that, that, my brothers and sisters, as we walk life on life in the context of our parishes, at our, at our job, when people peer into the church and look at how we're living and they see our suffering, they see the turmoil sometimes that we go through and how God produces a refined joy out of that. That makes no sense to the carnal mind. That out of deep, intense suffering, God would produce joy. 
every other every other religion falls short of this. Paul is letting them know that what makes you look distinct, what makes you look unique in the midst of these false teachers is the joy that God will produce in you as you walk through suffering. And then Paul ends this prayer, he points the Colossians towards their position in Christ. And he uses that again to combat another false teaching. He reminds them and us that the Father has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. Later on in the book, in Colossians 2.18, Paul tells the Colossians to not let anyone disqualify them, insisting on worshiping angels and you know, so on and so forth. And he's reminding them here, hey, if you've been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in life, you know, you don't need anything else to qualify you before God. As I said earlier in my illustration, he's, he's inserting these subtle teaching points. Later on in the letter, as we go on through the series, we'll hear him expound on this, but he's reminding them that don't don't believe the lie. You've already been qualified in Christ. And it reminds them of the gospel as he closes this section. He says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And as I said earlier, the Colossians were told um, that to worship angels uh, was the only way that they could protect themselves from demons. And in my in my research, actually, uh, there, there's actually been some archaeologists that have found artifacts of these Essene uh, uh, people where they wore a necklace that had names of angels to protect themselves from demons. So picture this in a scene, the Jewish Essene now converting, right, professing faith in Christ and trying to bring this into the Colossian church, but no, Paul tells them, you've already been delivered from the domain of darkness. You don't need to worship angels to protect yourself from the domain of darkness. God has already delivered you from the domain of darkness, and he's transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son, who, in, by the way, we, we have redemption in, in the forgiveness of sins. Faith and our love, brothers and sisters, this morning was not mustered up by us, but by the hope that was laid up for us in heaven. And one day we took hold of it when we heard the gospel. And God granted us understanding of his grace, and it is in seeking of his will, his wisdom, his understanding, that we find how to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, and all while desperately seeking to be filled with his power so that we can be enabled to live a holy life, bearing fruit in every good work and constantly increasing in our knowledge of Him. I'll be reminded this morning that it is through the Holy Spirit's empowerment, through His work of the gospel, that can equip us, His church, to live the Christian life of mission, holiness, and